0: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: You ask them to do something or the next step is a certain follow-up item. They say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and goes. The next day comes and goes and it's okay. They'll get back, but Just don't bite off more than you can chew. And if you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. And definitely call people
2: back. Welcome to the
1: Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our
0: hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
2: Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate and Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Josh Rothstein. Josh is joining us from Cincinnati, like me. He is a listing specialist at Onsite Retail Group, a commercial real estate brokerage and development company specializing in retail and restaurants. He and I have actually corresponded on some of his listings here in Cincinnati. I haven't bought from him yet, though. I need to get on that. Josh, can you start us off with a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on?
1: Sure. So as you said, I'm a commercial realtor. I have been for about 10 years and our firm focuses on two things, tenant representation and landlord seller representation. I focus on the listings. So if ever there is a shopping center or a restaurant or a building or a piece of land that comes available, I'm tasked with filling it, basically playing matchmaker between buyer and seller or landlord and putting the two together. So that's my focus and living in a town like Cincinnati, having grown up here, it's a small, big town, so it's not too difficult to get around and know who the players are. And as she said, it's small enough that you and I have corresponded on a listing that I had, maybe two, and it's that small town feel, so that's what we do.
2: Yeah, a quick little story there for how Josh and I know each other. He had some listings in the neighborhood where I live called Northside, and I was looking for an office hack mid-year last year office hack meaning i wanted a place outside of my house but close to my house where i could have my office i also wanted other rental units so that i could be cash flow positive on my office same idea as a house hack but for work purposes i ended up josh for you and our best ever listeners just a little farther down hamilton from your listings just past the library i bought an old building zoned office 4,000 square foot had been a residence at one time and I have my office here and then I have six other office rentals. And for the record, that's why I didn't end up going with your listings. Although one of them was just off of Hamilton, wasn't it? Uh, it one was, was, newly- the one was so at the ahead. corner of
1: Hamilton and Knowlton. And then the other one was yes. right on Hamilton.
2: Gotcha. Those were like a two and a three unit spaces, weren't they? One of them was a two
1: unit. And then the other one was three unit could have been four.
2: Cool. Yeah. I was calling on everything back then looking for what eventually became my office hack for sure. So let's talk about the Cincinnati market. It's special in some ways and I know you're from here, but it's also indicative of what's happening in a lot of older Midwestern cities. We have a very similar commercial inventory to a lot of cities. So when you say restaurants and shopping centers, what do most of your listings look like? So I have a
1: couple different categories. We're in the retail space. So we're not industrial. We're not office. We're not multifamily. We're retail. Now, retail encompasses a lot of things that are traditional retail and something that may not be. For example, shopping centers, plazas, strip centers, that's your typical retail. But an urban pedestrian friendly neighborhood like Northside where you are, where there's a building that's right on the main drag where people are walking, people are shopping, there's bars and restaurants and shops right around it. That to me is also retail, even though it may have been a bank or an office building. So essentially, if you can plug in a business that is servicing the public, you can come in and buy something. To me, that's what retail is. In addition, a lot of shopping centers may not even have a lot of shopping. They may have Medical. They may have service oriented. So retail can also be space where you're getting a lot of visibility because there's a lot of traffic. It's easily accessible. So if a business wants to locate somewhere and there's a transaction to be had, those are the types of listings that we take.
2: Gotcha. So you talk about shopping centers, strip centers. One of our other hosts on this show has been trying to talk me into investing in those for years, Ash Patel. The vast majority of our listenership is fairly sophisticated and apartments focused. So tell me, Josh, understanding that you list some of these properties yourself, thinking not as an owner-occupant business, I'm going to buy a site to put my shop in it. But thinking from a purely cash flow style investment, what is it that you see about shopping centers in a place like Cincinnati that should appeal to investors? It depends on how you look at it. To be honest with you,
1: shopping centers are risky. There are a lot of people that used to invest in shopping centers that may not be so keen on it anymore. Amazon was the first not the first, but one of the more popular villains that really emptied out a lot of tenants that were historically in shopping centers. When you have a shopping plaza that was designed around having an anchor, like a grocery store, or being closer to the rooftops in a neighborhood, you want to try and leverage your position on one's traffic flow so that you can have stores that they have to hit on their way home or on their way out, like a dry cleaner, like a drugstore, like a grocery store that you can pop into before you get home. So you can get dinner prepared like a nail salon. So you want to have those convenient spaces that people are going to patronize. And from an investment standpoint, there's a lot of flux. There's a lot of questions surfacing. What are shopping centers going to be? But at the end of the day, the shopping centers are still well-located and highly visible. So any businesses that want to be along the path of those travelers, a shopping center, your traditional shopping center is a good place for that to be. So the investor that might be looking for a shopping center, generally, I think, unless you're one of the bigger players and you're looking for a massive property that has a lot of national credit tenants inside of it, the Cincinnati, the small Midwest town kind of play is a shopping center that may have been overlooked for a while that There might be an opportunity to carve off an outlot in the front. There might be some value add play to be had. You can update the shopping center and maybe get higher rents, stronger rents, better tenants. So there's still a lot of play to be had, but the investor pool, I think, has really slimmed down. And it's turned into a lot of people that have made this their bailiwick. So there aren't as many people, I think, investing into the shopping center type of real estate as there once was
2: decreased demand kind of sounds to me like opportunity. That's certainly not the case of what we're experiencing in apartments. It feels like there's a new apartment investor every minute. And even in 2022, my offers are seeing stiffer competition than they were pre-COVID for sure. Josh, with both of us having a lot of market knowledge here in Cincinnati, I wanna have more of that conversation and try to have it in ways that, Are reflective of other MSAs similar to ours. That said, specific to Cincinnati, when it comes to shopping centers and restaurants, what are the trends that you've been seeing since lockdown? Within office, I know that the downtown office spaces are really struggling. A lot of those companies are moving to having smaller satellite offices, one north of town, one south of town, one east of town, something like that. Are you seeing similar trends in shopping centers and restaurants that different parts of town now than pre-COVID are gaining popularity? So
1: downtown, which is your classic example, an area that was dominated by daytime population with office workers, once COVID hit and people started to come back to work, this hybrid model has been adopted and I think more or less, it's been made permanent that I'm in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays and other people are in on Wednesdays and Fridays. So all of these businesses and restaurants and stores that were downtown because they needed that daily traffic, a lot of them have evaporated. So when you get out into the suburbs, it's a different game because not a lot of those places really relied on the daytime office population they relied on just the normal traffic flow maybe it's traffic flow in the evening maybe it's traffic flow during the day but it wasn't predicated on people going into their office and being there during the day so the tenants that have been able to make it last specifically restaurants i mean the honest truth is that covid it decimated a lot of restaurants a lot of small businesses but oh, the yeah. ones that were able to stay a lot of them had multiple units a lot of them had buying power and They figured out how to navigate through the PPP loans and all the other incentives that kept them afloat. And what many of them did is they figured out how to morph and work with COVID. So minimize their floor plans, figure out how to make most of their menu items transferable so that they could be packaged and people could pick them up and take them home. So a lot of the sloppier meals, which didn't transport very well, you get rid of them, you simplify your menu, you figure out what is actually obtainable through the supply chain crisis, which a lot of these people are still grappling with. You maximize your outdoor space. One interesting thing I saw, which I love seeing, is that the shopping centers, when there were vacancies, there was plenty of extra parking. So they would take a couple of parking spaces that were lumped together, maybe four, six, or eight of them, and create little outdoor patios, they call them parklets, the urban areas would carve off some parallel parking spaces that were abutting the sidewalks and create larger outdoor seating areas. So to maximize the outdoor space is an element that surfaced during COVID, but I think a lot of developers and restaurateurs and landlords are hanging on to because you create that vibe. And to answer your question, as long as there's an atmosphere, as long as there's In many cases, walkability and a place to go get a drink before dinner, get your dinner, get dessert, and there's this interaction. I think that the places that are located in those types of areas are still doing well.
2: Yeah, and neighborhoods like Over the Rhine and Cincinnati are vibrant again now in mid 2022, which is good to see. To your point, though, I know a lot of places in Over the Rhine, and some of this was planned prior to COVID, but a lot of places gained dedicated outdoor space a lot of restaurants did in the urban core and in over the Rhine. some street blocks were shut down to create outdoor parking for restaurants and things like that and I've heard that some of that stuff was planned pre-COVID and only executed post-COVID due to coincidental timing but it definitely came at the right time. Josh you also represent landlords and tenants for shopping centers and restaurant type spaces. you represent both sides? I do, but I represent
1: tenants in a limited capacity.
2: Tenants in a limited capacity, that makes sense. So talk to me as a landlord of a space in an urban core where I've seen my tenants not make it for whatever reason. And now I have vacancy in spaces that I need to fill. I know, as you said, there are several places that learned how to adapt and made it through lockdown, but given the vacancy that I now have, hypothetically, who is it that I can expect to gain as new tenants in those spaces, and how does the rent that I can expect to collect compare to what it was pre-COVID?
1: So just as tenants had to adapt, landlords need to adapt also. The days of being able to up your rent and have competing tenants for a space that isn't at Main and Main, uh, the most amazing place, those days are gone. So landlords need to get creative. Thankfully, we're beyond where COVID was just starting to go away and people were starting to resurface. But for the sake of getting at the topic, it would help landlords to adopt a comfort level with doing a percentage rent deal. There's a lot more risk associated with tenants signing leases these days, especially if it's a long-term lease, especially if it requires a tremendous amount of investment on the front. So landlords, if they're willing to do a percentage rent and participate in that risk, and if the tenant does well, they do well, and if the tenant doesn't do well, then the landlord doesn't, that has seemed to help. Landlords offering free rent periods longer than what has generally been market- has to help because a lot of these tenants, if you're in a position to open up a restaurant, you need to go get your equipment. And there's still a big supply chain issue. So I represented Fusion, which is an easy casual sushi restaurant. We found a location on Beachmont Avenue. And Fusion is out of Cincinnati. But within their restaurant brand, they've got over a dozen locations. But they still have a hard time getting equipment. Most people do So they need enough time before they have to start paying rent because they can't be open without coolers and cooking equipment, but they can sign a lease. And of course, no landlord wants to hear that, but they had to be flexible with it and comply because if they didn't, then that space is going to sit on the market and they're going to have to wait for more or less a needle in a haystack. So it is a two-way street.
0: We'll get back to the show. with first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find a recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliant's experience team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. Investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self storage investing. Visit passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's passiveinvesting.com forward slash red flags.
2: You name dropped Beachmont Avenue, that's a main thoroughfare in a very well known mm-hmm. suburb here in Cincinnati, Anderson or Anderson Township. I know Fusion. I've definitely eaten at a couple of their places. Are you seeing the restaurateurs and the restaurant companies with multiple brands or multiple locations, do you see them trending more suburban now?
1: I think it depends on the restaurant. The smart ones will map out where they want to be. They want to go to the bigger markets that have the demographics that cater to them. Fusion is sushi, so it generally scales towards a more sophisticated crowd with a higher socioeconomic status, better incomes, higher education level, but yeah, they started downtown and they still have a location downtown at 600 Vine, which is a different location than where they started, but they have expanded more into the suburbs because they've learned that it's a lot of moms that want to get dinner for their families, or they want to be closer to home because it's more of a convenience item. So I have seen, however, that Suburbs are more so adopting these urban types of projects as opposed to projects in the urban area catching the suburbanites because a lot of the people in the suburbs don't want to get in their car and go to the urban areas. So in Cincinnati, it's going downtown or it's going to Oakley. Instead, if you can amass the property and get enough land to build an urban centric project in the suburbs, you're appealing to a much wider range and you can be kid-friendly because these urban areas are not necessarily convenient to drag a stroller around and have kids who might rip away from your hand and end up into a street. So the urban projects, the summit parks, the district at Deerfield, these are the types of projects that I'm seeing attracting the restaurants and the stores and the retailers that are
2: in a position to expand. Downtown Loveland comes to mind Mm -hmm. and For someone in your space to not be able to, is it Liberty Center? Liberty Um, Center, In Mm -hmm. Liberty Township, there are a lot of more places like that. Summit Park, like you mentioned. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because there's been a lot of growth in those places the last few years. Now that I have a toddler, I totally get what you're saying about having a a suburban core, like an urban core, that's more kid-friendly. Park, large sidewalks, less street traffic, less vehicle traffic. That makes a lot of sense. Josh, as an apartment investor, active owner-operator, and someone who likes doing creative deals that are profitable, but also because I think it's fun, and thinking about me personally, bringing our best-ever listeners along for the ride, not having much experience personally in your niches within Cincinnati... Where do you think is an opportunity for someone like me to break into shopping and restaurants as an investor? So
1: I think that it all boils down to a couple ways to look at it. If you know of a restaurant that is booming, maybe one that's in Northside and they know that you're a real estate investor, because a lot of your average people don't know that necessarily care for the difference between multifamily investing, industrial office or retail sure. so, If you happen to be friendly with an up-and-coming restaurateur and they say, we really want to be in Northside or we really want to be in College Hill, and you go find a restaurant that is closed down because there are many of them, and you feel comfortable with them and you say, look, I'll buy the property, you pay me a lease rate of X, and I'll contribute this amount to your build-out, and you'll do more of it, sure, it's going to be a risk. But if you see a return over time and maybe you do a percentage rent situation with them, That might be one way to start. Another way to start is you can participate in a fund where it's more hands-off for you, but you can take some of your capital and put it in with another pool of investors and have a team that handles that investment. You can be a partial owner in several different shopping centers, or you just keep your eyes open for a value-add kind of play. Oftentimes, it's in these smaller towns on the outskirts, the ones that might take you 40, 50 minutes to get to. But if you see something and you know that there's a demand for other retailers or restaurants or offices or medical to be in these certain neighborhoods, you on your own or you with some other investors can go get it and enhance it, put lipstick on it and get some tenants in there that are paying more and will do better over time. And then you can just build up the property.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Leaning on my own sphere and thinking if I find a business that I have some understanding of and I can see that they're growing and they have the potential to continue to grow in a new location, most restaurateurs don't want to be real estate investors, at least in my experience. So finding someone who's operating a business that I could partner with to find their location, very similar to what Dollar General does or Walgreens or CBS that are famously lease all of their spaces. That sounds very similar to that kind of business plan where someone could get in to real estate investing for restaurants by partnering up with an operator who's looking for space. That makes a lot of sense. Josh, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book you recently read? I actually don't read books. I spend
1: all my time reading the business couriers or the newspapers and learning about who's acquiring who, who's buying, who's opening. So Cincinnati water.
2: Gotcha. Nice. What is your best ever way to give back? You can write a
1: check, but that's no fun for me. But going to an event, whether it's a gala or a fundraiser or um, a golf outing of some sort, but being there and volunteering and not only participating financially, but playing a part and getting your hands dirty. If it's a cause that's important to me, that's usually where you'll find me if I'm giving you back.
2: Awesome. Josh, thus far as a listing specialist, shopping centers and restaurants, what's the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that you learned from it?
1: We all get really busy. And when you're busy, you, you might try to rush through things. So rushing through things and not treating every inquiry or requests as you should. At the beginning, you get overwhelmed and and you might take your eye off the ball a little bit. And I learned that lesson because one of the biggest deals I ever signed, when the guy first called me off my sign, he's asking me simple questions and I'm thinking to myself, who is this guy? This is never going to go anywhere. And then he called me back after we went and got some answers to some of the questions and I vetted him a little bit and then we ended up going toward the property, which of course I'm glad I did. And it ended up being the biggest deal that I did to date. And The lesson was Like you learned as a kid, never judge a book by its cover. What
2: is your best ever advice?
1: My best ever advice is do what you say you're going to do. I think there's nothing more common in the real estate business. When you're talking to somebody, you ask them to do something or the next step is a certain follow-up item. They say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and goes. The next day comes and goes and it's okay. They'll get back, but just don't bite off more than you can chew it. If you're going to say you're going to do something, do it and definitely call people back
2: as a fellow service provider in real estate i totally feel that as an investor i'm struggling with contractors who tell me they'll get something done and then we pass the deadline and they haven't even started yet i was a full-time residential agent for quite some time and doing what you say you're going to do it sounds so basic and fundamental it's unfortunate how few service providers in the real estate industry actually do it though so that makes a lot of sense that's great advice josh where can people get in touch with you
1: my office phone number is 513-268-4453 i'm very active on social media my instagram handle is space for lease that's the number 4 and always available By email, you can find my contact information at onsiteretailgroup.com.
2: That info is available in the show notes as well. Josh, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend who you know is interested in shopping center and retail investing. Thank you and have a best ever day.